Welcome to the Stack of Stats podcast. I am your host, Pam Maldonado, joined by two of my favorite Twitter follows when it comes to tennis. And we're here to talk about the U.S. Open, something that is near and dear to my heart. Watching Novak Djokovic just absolutely fall all over himself in the U.S. Open final. Gil Gross, he is the host of Monday Match Analysis on YouTube and host for the Tennis Channel podcast. Drew Dinsick, handicapper and analyst for NBC Sportsbet and host of the Deep Dive podcast. Guys, thank you both for coming on to talk about Novak Djokovic and what we all saw in the U.S. Open. Appreciate you having us. It was uh, It's great to close the book with you because we got to do that super fun pod preview pod where you were in Vegas mm-hmm. and you took time away from your yeah. outstandingly fun weekend to talk tennis. And uh, here I am wrapping up my weekend in Vegas and uh, get to close the book. So very, very cool that we get to talk tennis again. Yeah, great to join both of you. Thanks, Pam. Um, Gil, I know that you and I, we were on the same boat pre-tournament where we picked not Djokovic to win. Instead, we had Medvedev. Drew, him and I talked about if it wasn't Novak who was going to win, then who was going to be the next guy up? I also said Zverev was going to be the biggest test. I think you and I also switched (laughs) in mid-tournament that, okay, Novak is winning this. He is going to break the title. He is going to earn the calendar slam. Do you think that our fandom kind of got in the way a little bit? What is it that helped you change your mind? Well, I think it was a couple of things, and part of it was inescapable of just maybe getting caught up in the chase and him going for for the record, no doubt about that. But one dynamic that we've seen with Novak is that he's been better in in finals, although the U.S. Open has been one place where he he has lost a lot of finals. But in elsewhere, it's normally been the semifinal where he's been a little bit more vulnerable or maybe before then. Mm. And I definitely saw the pressure uh, that Novak was shouldering going into this tournament as a massive disadvantage for him. But as I saw him overcome it match after match after match, I just couldn't bring myself to use that as the logic for why he was going to lose that final. And just also just looking back at what happened in Australia, not just the scoreline, but how solved Daniil Medvedev looked. I, Mm -hmm. I just couldn't. I couldn't uh, I couldn't pick Daniil. I couldn't stick with it come Sunday. But before the tournament, I thought it made perfect sense. The second best hardcore player in the world. And if Novak's mm-hmm. not at his best, which he probably won't be because of the nerves, Daniil will win. Right. And just to kind of recap what the situation was, world number one, Novak Djokovic in the U.S. Open, he had a chance to hit some major history records here. He not only was chasing the calendar slam, which meant he has he would have won all four majors in the same year, but he also had a chance to break the record for most Grand Slam titles, one uh, surpassing both Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, all of which are tied at 20. So now after the U.S. Open, they're all tied for 20 because Novak Djokovic ultimately did end up losing in straight sets, which is the most surprising of all to world number two, Daniil Medvedev, who he defeated in straight sets at the Australian Open. Drew, you said that you did take Medvedev. Did you take him to win straight sets in the final or did you just have him on the futures? No, I I had him on the futures and I backed him on the day of because that price was not correct in my mind. I had made it. uh, I made match price plus 185. Minus 185. That was my fair. Mm-hmm. And so seeing it open, Djokovic was in like the minus 200 range and gets sped out to like minus 220, minus 30. I uh, I couldn't get anywhere close to that. And I think actually Medvedev opened pretty close to my fair. But then by the time it got to close, there was enough value that I bought back. And, you know, it's, it's, it, most of my action was in the futures market. 
Um, I don't even really know how or why I was so, um, uh, I guess, why I stuck with Medvedev for as long as I did because I felt mm-hmm. very strongly that Djokovic peaked in the during you know the the Roland Garros Wimbledon time window. Um, I was high on Djokovic throughout Roland Garros, bet, backed him you know round by round, particularly went hard against Nadal. Um, and that was hugely beneficial, but I thought Medvedev performed better on clay than anyone would have expected. I thought he performed better on grass than anyone would have expected. And those were freebies for him because he always tends to try to have his peak performance come on the North American swing. I think he likes the conditions. I think he likes the, um, you know, the fact that a lot of the other guys who push hard through the European swing are kind of on fumes. And I think that's really how the, this manifests at the end of the day. Uh, the fact that Medvedev um, had beaten Djokovic in the Cincinnati semifinals in 2019 mattered. I think he, you know, having that in the back of his head that, hey, in the uh, late rounds of a, of a very important tournament, I got the better of this guy. You know, I think that definitely helped his confidence. I think the fact that he went head-to-head with Nadal in the final at the U.S. Open two years ago and really held his own. Uh, like, I think everybody in the tennis handicapping community that I talked to was like, Nadal's going to win in straights. Medvedev, congratulations. Your consolation prize, you finally got to a final, whatever. You know, the future is yours. But, um, you know, he won those sets three and four to take that five. Uh, right. And I think the pieces were just all there that uh, anything other than peak Djokovic was going to be, uh, you know, he was going to be vulnerable here. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited for Medvedev to do it just because all of these young guys, you know, Sissipas and Zverev are certainly a next team mm-hmm. getting one last year, although team not having to go through any of the big three was a little, dis, you know, it's maybe shades right. that a little bit. Um, but like these guys are all going to get theirs coming up and it's going to make the men's tour, men's tour very exciting here. Uh, I don't have any doubt in my mind that Djokovic gets number 20 in Australia. He should probably be 21. like in the uh, 20, yeah, excuse me, number 21 in Australia. He should probably be like minus, he, he closed this tournament minus 150 on the futures. Like he that did. was a price that you would expect from him at Wimbledon or Australia, or not the Australia. US Open. Uh, and we'll so talk about that in a minute. A little, we'll talk about <laughs> Australian <laughs> Open in a minute. That's where I want to close. But you were talking about the vulnerabilities of Djokovic. And I think, Gil, it was those vulnerabilities that we saw him overcome, which is why we shifted our viewpoint in the final of if he was able to get through all of that and get through Zverev, who I thought was going to be his biggest test, his biggest test. And sure enough, it was. He just ran out of everything that he had his mental aspect his his uh his legs his everything just like led up to this final and then that's where we saw him kind of crash and unfortunately burn yes i did cry i'm gonna be honest i has the big fan in the moment if you look at my twitter timeline i prior to the match i changed it i changed my banner to a djokovic background why because i was at the us open and i got to see him live and watching him live was like one of the most beautiful things that i've ever seen whoa i'm gonna get all motion again I've never been such a fan of any athlete in my life. And Djokovic definitely is that player for me. So I, yes, I definitely let the fandom get the best of me. Instead, I want to look forward to the future because it was definitely tough. Fans, they were all there. You had Alec Baldwin, you had Ben Stiller, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt and Bradley Cooper. Everyone showed out for this. And I think definitely all of that added, contributed to the weight of the world on his shoulders. And you saw it in an interview afterward. His words were, he felt relief and he was glad that it was over do you think um this is a question for both of you do you think one huge difference for this match specifically 
was that the crowd was actually with him and the crowd was with him because of all these monumental uh, achievements that he could have been achieving if, had he won. He Djokovic is a player that thrives when the crowd works against him. And yet the crowd was there for him. Do you think that had any effect on the outcome? I will say yes. I did not feel like his competitive spirit was as high as we've seen in other matches. Mm -hmm. And some of that might have been because he felt like he didn't wasn't fighting the crowd. But that's but I mean, the, the much more distinguishing factor was the fact that the draw put him through Zverev. If okay. Zverev is in the third quarter and Zverev and Medvedev have a semifinal war and, and Joker cruises 3-0 past FAA, I think it's a different match. Could have been a different match. And Gil, there was one point in the tournament where Djokovic was actually, it was in the second set, early in the second set, Djokovic was up 40 love. It was his chance to break. It was Medvedev who was serving love 40, and Novak did not get the break. Had he gotten that break point, do you think that could have altered the outcome of the match? With how the rest of it went, it does really feel like Medvedev was going to come through that. And I think the distinguishing factor here, because Novak Djokovic has been over the last three, four years uh, since his resurgence in 2018, by far the best player I've ever seen at handling nerves, the best pressure player I've ever seen. He has gotten through every epic match at, at a major and, and he's lost, but but they haven't really been epics. Team beat him in five sets at, at Roland Garros. But mm -hmm. um, every time it's been a toss up, he's come through and it's because he handles his right. nerves so well. The common denominator is he can lean on his legs in those moments and he always has his movement. And in this match for the first time, it wasn't just, okay, he doesn't, he didn't have his timing. He was a little bit nervous. He wasn't finishing well. Normally he overcomes that because he still has his consistency in his legs. And because he did not have the juice, the explosiveness um, in his movement, that's why he was, he looked disarmed. Um, that's why he could not, when Medvedev hit good first serves, he could not get it back. Um, mm -hmm. all of these things just, it wasn't going to work for him because he felt too nervous to really execute with his, with his aggression. And he was too beat up and tired to really execute with mm -hmm. the things he normally leans on in, in those situations, which is right. his defense and his consistency and his rally tolerance. You're talking about his legs and his consistency. He's one of the best servers on tour. And after the second set, his first serve percentage was 49%. Largely, that had a lot to do with this outcome. It could have been because his legs were tired. You're not able to get the bend that you want. You're not able to get the explosion off of your serve that, you're no that you normally do get. Another thing that I noticed that um, I, I'm, I was so, so shocked, <laughs> I was shocked, was that after the second set, Djokovic did not take a break. He didn't go into the locker room. He didn't kind of ask for like some time, some type of timeout. He instead just went straight into the third match as if he was kind of already done with it. Did you, did you all notice that? Gil, did you notice that? And how, how was your reaction to that? I definitely noticed that. I thought it was weird. Um, I also thought it was kind of weird how quickly him and Zverev were playing in the semifinal. Uh, mm -hmm. To me, they're not they're not the quickest players. I, they raced through that match, and I right. I just don't know. I didn't really know what to make of that, but I think it was almost maybe an early sign that Djokovic just didn't really. He felt his gas tank running low, and he wanted mm. to get off the court. Very good point. What do you I think, agree. Jim? 
No, I think yeah. that's a completely fair read because that was weird. How how yeah. your know, five set match being that was like a little over four hours um, was a, was strange with the Zverev, and then uh, yeah, that for sure the French Open final against Sissipas where he looked in distress at times in the first set right. like he the heat the wind nothing was like going right for him in that uh and then he take took a break after the second set changed his clothes and like came mm -hmm. back out and he was like it's not over yet big you know young man right. you know i get he, he, he had a very see any of that it, it no and uh that's probably it was probably a telling sign um and you know but even all that like if he doesn't get broken twice that's right. probably going to a third set tiebreaker because it, right. you know, Medvedev, you know, had had a little bit of a, a choke in him uh, towards the end there. And, you know, maybe he's a little bit sharper if he doesn't have two breaks to work with. But uh, certainly, uh, you know, I, I didn't feel like it was over until it was over, over. <laughs> and he right. never will with Djokovic on the court. Yeah, I thought it was over after the first set, knowing him, knowing his game so well, watching every single thing that he does. I watch his practices. I watch on YouTube. They post it. I spend I sit there and I watch an hour of his practice and you can kind of you just saw everything was already like out. It was already like out from his body. Let the will, the want. Let me flip the question then and ask you then. Uh, he dropped the first set a lot. <laughs> this right. tournament. Was that yeah. just because of like, was this was that a strategy thing? Because and I agree, it felt different in the final. It right. felt like he didn't. It felt like he didn't concede the first set, and so oh, no, okay, right. yeah, yeah, I'll I'll be back. It was more of a oh no, I got beat. Uh, right. And you know, was it a strategy thing for him all along, and did that ultimately backfire? I think initially for the other matches, it could have been a strategy because you saw him extend the rallies. You saw him extend the points. He was wearing down his opponents, which is one of the things that he does best. So that way, when it did get to the second set, it's like, oh, you're too tired. Now I can go undo my thing. And Djokovic, it's not uncommon for him to drop sets because he's kind of taking time to figure out his opponents. He wants to see what strategy works, which strategy he wants to employ. This time it was totally different. This was the wind was gone. You, I, you just kind of like you felt it and you saw it and the crowd was not there. Where was the crowd? Like if initially the crowd is like excited, but like there wasn't even any, I thought that there's a reason why I mentioned this to um, my guy the other day when we were watching it was there's a reason why when you watch Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, Nadal, those matches are classics because every single point is grueling and it's awesome and they're going long and they are bringing the best out of each other. This, none of this at none of Djokovic matches in the last six months, can you constitute a classic because he's either whipping his opponents or in this case, he got his handed to, um, it was just different. It was quick points short. He just looked lifeless after the first set. I kind of knew that it was over instead. I want to look to the future. What do you think? Are we going to see Djokovic play at all this year for the rest of the season? We have Indian Wells coming up. Are we going to see him not until the Australian open? What do you think? I, I kind of, I feel like he should play a little bit and I think he'll want to. And I just think mm. about as a player, what is the effect of playing basically for, for two months, every time you hit a tennis ball in a match, the stakes are in, insanely high. And I felt like, like, wouldn't it be nice if he gets on the match court and maybe he can enjoy himself a little bit at, right. at a tournament? instead of chasing history, like he went from Wimbledon to the Olympics, to the U S open. And well, actually from Roland Garros, he, there was no tournaments in between Roland yeah, right. Garros and Wimbledon. Right. So every Straight single time he took the court, 
it was just this massive it mattered. Yeah. And, and I just think it might be nice for him to go play Indian Wells, which is a tournament that all the fans love. And okay. just to not have to worry about if I lose, I'm like basically taking a, you know, I'm, I'm losing a once in a lifetime chance at, at a historical legacy. accomplishment. <laughs> Talk about I, the weight of the world on your shoulders with that statement. I, yeah. I also don't think this was once in a lifetime. I don't think so I really either. Ooh, I think he should he should be the odds on favorite at all four next year, in my opinion. And obviously Rafa's gonna get the market attention at the French Open, maybe even team if he's uh you know, if he's healthy, he might be second choice. But uh I would still make him a meaningful chance to to win all four next year. There's also a difference from when we saw Djokovic as world number one, trying to stay world number one and what he did this year in 2021, which was when he was aiming to be world number one for as long as he was, he was playing every single tournament. The match form was there. The consistency was there. um, The repetitions were there. 2021, he said, oh, I'm world number one. I already broke that record. I don't need to touch it. So what do we see? His schedule wasn't as heavy. He took a lot more rest. Um, maybe that played into effect. So I wouldn't mind if he doesn't play for, for the rest of the 21, 2021. I want him to kind of stop, clear his mind, enter 2022, just like ready to attack it. And yeah, like you said, it drew, I think he has a chance here to, I don't think this is over. I think we're going to see him break, not only break the record, but can we also see him go for the calendar slam once again, which then is the final question is going into Australian open. He's plus one thirty to win the Australian open right now. That's by and far his best tournament. He has nine titles. He's won the last three. Is it worth an early buy or do we kind of have to see what's up with him for the next few months? What kind of prices are we seeing right now? Did you say plus one thirty? Plus one thirty. I think it closes minus one fifty. I think if you, I think that only goes one way. I don't think there's yeah. any realistic because, I mean, what's the what are who who comes into the market that all of a sudden is going to be able to challenge him on that court? Maybe Zverev, maybe mm-hmm. if he continues to improve. Uh, and Nadal healthy after a long layoff still is not beating him head to head there. No way. Right. And then Federer, I doubt we see him uh, anytime soon, based on the reports I'm hearing. Um, and Medvedev's then, Medvedev's the problem now, I think, because yeah. the, the, the conditions are similar now, now that they sped up the U.S. Open, it's kind yeah. of you're looking at the same conditions pretty much. And uh, now, I guess, the, the if you're if you're Novak, the the number one thing I think that you have to fear is that Daniil now fully believes and knows that he can do it. I the yeah. flip is tr- true, though, in that you're going to maybe catch him overconfident because oh. uh, with a, after a long break. Djokovic is going to be more close, you know, closer to peak of powers as opposed to kind of on, on uh, fumes. And at that point, um, head to, I guess, let's just to say it goes chalky. Um, let's go. Well, a couple of things could happen too. Zverev might end up on the, in the three seed and might be, you know, on the bottom half of that draw with Medvedev, in which case mm-hmm. those guys go to war in your semifinals and, you know, Joker can, can, you know, uh, slide in uh, on the top half maybe goes through yeah. Sissipas. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then the, the, the handicap for that final, if it's Medvedev Djokovic, I would expect to look like the closing price in this U S open final where he's something like a minus 200. Well, give me your final prediction. Uh, who's going to break the record. Who's going to be Federer Nadal Djokovic. Who's going to be the first one to 21. I, I think that's a, that's a pretty, 
pretty easy call for me on on Novak. Um, I'm much more interested if we can skip ahead even further in what's going to happen after 21, because yeah. now Good you point. start to look at just the challenges of of motivation and and keeping yourself going, keeping that fire burning. But as long as it's 202020, I think Novak's going to continue on this trajectory where he's at right now, where he's he's on top of the tennis world for for the most part. That's yeah. a really great point. What happens yeah. after 21 with either three of them, with either three of them. Well, guys, I really do appreciate both of you coming on, talking about the US Open, talking about Novak Djokovic, the world's greatest athlete of our generation. Don't you forget it. <laughs> you can follow both of them. You can check out Gil Gross on his tennis channel, on the tennis channel on YouTube at Gil underscore Gross on Twitter. And you can follow Drew Dinsick at Whale underscore Capper, NBC Sports Bet, and the Deep Dive Podcast. Guys, it was a pleasure having you. I appreciate it. And Best that, of luck. Thanks, Pam. For another episode of Stack of Sucks.